0: Hey Will, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Another day, another episode.
1: Fantastic. So this is episode seven of Light. And this is a very special episode, right?
0: Very, very special. And we promised this one to you for a while now, but you know, we had a a big development come up, so we had to postpone it a little bit, but now I'm really excited to share with all
1: Awesome. So this is a special episode of MLite, uh, where basically we talk about uh, what we uh, discussed with our friends over at Immigration, Citizenship, uh, F- Immigration, Refugee, Citizenship Canada about two three weeks ago.
0: Absolutely. Before I begin, I do want to recognize that I'm speaking from the traditional and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, tsleil and Kaikot First Nations here in Burnaby, British Columbia
1: and I'm speaking from the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations here in Ontario.
0: So as you were saying, LJ, we had this unique opportunity to present to IRCC, and one of the things we wanted to do is to showcase what we presented to them, to all of you, just to, just to show that you know, the way that we engage and tell stories uh, is a platform that we utilize both public and, 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 and in our private personal uh, work as well.
1: Absolutely. And um, given that our audience is uh, largely different today, uh, we're, we're going to keep some of the stuff that we talked about uh, you know, a little bit more abridged. We're just going to condense our fact patterns. Uh, and then we're going to talk about policy points, uh, pain points, essentially, that we underscored to our friends over at immigration. And uh, after that, actually, we had a bit of a discussion with them. And we'll, we can talk about that a little bit, um, you know, but not in detail, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, why don't you go ahead,
0: Will, um, with your part? Absolutely. And, and just as one quick preface, one of the, you know, when we gave this brief and said that we were going to do storytelling instead of a usual PowerPoint or slides or, or documents at first, they were kind of taken aback. Like we, right. we need our paper, we need our stats. Like what are you uh, guys doing? Uh, but at the end of it, I think we got some really good feedback and they actually liked the storytelling because it, it, it put it into a different medium for a second. Don't look at the slides. Don't look at any numbers. Don't look online. Just listen to the stories that we have to tell about our clients and those who are at the heart of immigration.
1: And that is the whole mission of this whole podcast at the very beginning. It's about humanizing and uh, storytelling. So I'm very happy that our friends at Immigration were able to appreciate that as well.
0: Absolutely. So for the fact pattern that I presented, just to summarize, it was an international student from Indonesia, who didn't uh, meet the full-time studies requirements because of a first semester that was very, very difficult. So I utilized this story to sort of highlight the my concern that this arbitrariness of the final semester being able to be part-time, but not extending it to other semesters, especially when many times it is factors outside of a student's control or the struggle to first adapt to Canada uh, didn't make sense from a policy perspective. Um, I then talked about challenges of students often working more than full-time hours unknowingly and of course of institutions not necessarily having updated immigration resources at all times, for example the website or advisors, but then eventually putting up information that is correct and and, and leaving students confused when when they see that information and and wonder why they didn't have it earlier. I also tackled the postgraduate work permit the difficulties in applying and, and, and updating documents, especially when errors were made, and some of the power relationships that that has become because there's no clear written exception to the full-time policy. I tackled a bit about restorations, uh, as well as reconsiderations, and then the, the government's uh, recent postgraduate work permit extension policy, which I think, uh, because it doesn't offer extensions due to passport uh, length, uh, can create problems on its own. How about yours, LJ? What did you talk about in your uh, fact pack?
1: Right. In a, in a weird coincidence, we both uh, chose Indonesia as sort of like a middle ground for uh, sort of a montage or a collage of our uh, experience with clients from all over the world. So mine is a caregiver who was uh, who's Indonesian, who had some work experiences, as a domestic helper in Singapore, who eventually found her way in Canada. Uh, and when she applied for the uh, live in caregiver program, she was abused and essentially had to leave. And when she finally applied for uh, permanent residence, she was stuck in the transition phase of getting that bridging open work permit, but eventually falling out of status, then having to restore to a worker through an LMIA. So essentially this poor person had to stay in Canada without status for some time, without the ability to work, uh, without authorization to work, having to you know, basically live off the generosity of others, sometimes sleeping in public parks, especially during the non-winter months, and as a result, essentially, she uh, endured a lot of hardship, not knowing. On top of that, that when she had left uh, uh, Indonesia, that uh, you know her eldest child apparently had fathered a uh, another child, and this was not known to her when an application for permanent residence was made. So essentially, there were points where there was misrepresentation on the file. Uh, they had not declared that she had a son who had a, a son which in effect is uh, essentially misrepresenting the size and the composition of the family until she finally happy enough found proper help from an immigration lawyer at a legal clinic who was able to help her restore her status. Although that took an order of about seven years to actually get to the point where they were able to file an application for permanent residence through the interim pathway for caregivers. A uh, long story short, um, it's a lot of, uh, You know hardship in Canada where uh, things were out of her control just because she fell through the technicalities and the cracks in the system. Uh, Very unfortunate, but tried to put it in a positive spin in the end uh, because she's now on her way
0: to PR. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that after we told both of our stories uh, individually, we gave a framework for assessment. Again, this is not a framework that I would necessarily has been based in academia or some sort of uh, literature, it is one that, based on the experience of our clients, we came up with and we think it's a good framework as a starting point to look at immigration policy. So what I called it was the four uns. The first un, unproductive policy. What are the policies in place that are not productive or conducive to the outcome or goals the system is trying to achieve. Mm. The second one is underappreciated realities. What are some of these facts that go behind the scenes? So in, ca- in my case, it was the role of third parties involved in the process, mm. financial and mental health stresses, the fact forms and documents are not easy to navigate. Uh, then we look at the unintended consequences. So what are, because of these uh, bad policies or uh, or unproductive policies, what are some of the unintended consequences that are arising from it? Mm-hmm. So, in, in my case of the international student, I mentioned that many international students are forced into situations where they have to pursue other applications that are mm-hmm. ripe for abuse. For example, spousals, LMIAs, or work permits where employers are arranging their employment and creating employment fraud, refugee claims where possibly uh, they may not meet the requirements, but some uh, individuals recommending that they do it because it's a last-ditch effort, or there's a strain on the TRPs in the H&C system. Finally, it's the unacknowledged restraints, and these are the bigger, broader policy issues that, that sort of constrain the way and restrain the way that uh, the system works. So in the case of international students, it could be the funneling of international students on the pathway to permanent resident. I'm always shocked at the, at the low number. And I write about this actually in the piece that I talked about on last, on the last episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's not 20 to 27% of international students that are PRs right now. It's single digits. Like from my last look, it it probably is around 3% a year. So only Mm -hmm. 3% of all study permits holders in Canada in a given year transition in terms of another class becoming permanent residents.
1: And forgive me for interjecting at this point, because, uh, you know, a lot of international students, let's face it, have dual intent, and uh, have the intention of applying for permanent residence and they're not faced with the reality that it's at the single digits. Wow, that's all I have to say. Yeah,
0: now. it is. And, and that's also why you know, you're going to see a big demand for programs that open the door for international students, because I don't believe that 97%, 95%, whatever the number might be, again, the government stats, I, I base this just on the number of total international student permit holders in a year, and the number of former stu- study permit holders obtaining permanent residence in a year. That's where my stats are coming from. I'm sure there's a better way of, of, of aggregating it, but 3%. Right. And the question is, do 97% of all the study permit holders really just want to leave Canada or how many leave because they have no other option to stay or some, you know, maybe do go back to pursue other opportunities. But it's an, acknowledge, an acknowledged restraint and it's numbers that we don't like to talk about that have actually a huge impact on our system. Mm-hmm. Similarly with dual intention, as you mentioned, and information accessibility. So that's what I talked about on my end when during the consultations. How about yourself, LJ? I know in your caregiver one, yeah, I remember okay. from the session, you had some really, really good breakdown on the 4 islands.
1: I used your 4 framework and it was really useful in highlighting certain weaknesses in the caregiver programs. And I will emphasize the S there because in the span of 10 years, we have probably seen what, five iterations of the various uh, caregiver programs in Canada, starting with the old school live-in caregiver programs until the uh, uh, live-in component was removed and then the two Harper pilots were introduced and then they were retired and replaced with the Trudeau pilots, uh, the current uh, pilots for caregiver, which is a uh, You know, uh, our friends over at immigration also acknowledge the weaknesses, but yeah, um, hopefully this is going to be resolved soon uh, in respect to uh, the current problems plaguing the the new pilots. But, uh, you know, to shuffle through the four uns, for unproductive policies, there's really policy chaos, chaos, and it stems from the fact that there are so many programs that are out there, and it's not like because one program has retired that people are not going to be still stuck in an old program. For example, there are still those who are um, still uh, languishing in the Harper Pilots trying to essentially build the hours necessary so that they can apply for that program. They did introduce what's called the interim pathway for caregivers. Uh, This was back in 2019. The objective was noble. It was to absorb uh, people who would have um, basically completed a certain number of hours, one year's worth of experience, 1,560 hours of Mm -hmm. uh, caregiver work essentially, uh, that that basically will qualify them for for permanent residence. There were challenges such as people not meeting the language requirements. That's a topic for a different story. But the fact of the matter is the uh, interim pathway was opened twice on top of it, uh, did not absorb a lot of the stragglers and the people who struggled through the tough requirements of the uh, said interim pathway. Then there's um, underappreciated realities that most safety nets at the provincial levels are not engaged, mainly because people are afraid. They don't know uh, what rights they have. And if they do, uh, there's a host of other problems, such as language problems, or it could be a basic access to justice issue. Uh, how are they going to afford a lawyer in Toronto that charges, let's say $300 an hour? That's a real problem. And you know, navigating the justice system is no simple feat, let's be honest. Um, then there's also an assumption that the policies at the provincial level are respected by employers or even the employees themselves and even if they're, they're they are respected another layer of assumption is that there are recourses that are not really engaged by uh, employees as i mentioned earlier then there's the unintended consequences that uh, due to the higher requirements as i said in the interim pathway for caregivers there are those who will who did fa- fell through uh, fall through the cracks and uh, they're left with no options, well, but to apply for sometimes refugee status, which you know, for 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 the most part, you would ask, are they even qualified? Or these would be people who would ask for humanitarian and compassionate grounds, which basically clogs up the system. Um, you know, we don't know if they're the most meritorious cases. It's a very high threshold to actually meet for HNC um, applications. So. Um, you know, the programs were not able to capture these people, um, mainly because of language requirements, for example, or proper documentation. Then finally, there's an unacknowledged restraints that funneling PR applications through the interim pathway uh, with owners requirements was really the crux of the issue. Um, mm. This is why we are still left with a lot of people who are still trying to get, secure their PR, even if they met the minimum number of hours required. And transitioning is is very hard and you know compound that with um, covid when uh, processing for caregiver applications was basically at a standstill for the most part in 2020 and it's only now that immigration mm-hmm. is starting to catch up they did come out with a commitment that they will clear the black backlog by by june of this year let's uh Hope that they actually do that. We'll try to hold our um, public officers in into account. We'll be, you know, keeping tabs on that. There's also mixed messaging regarding the new home, uh, the home care pilot programs, the Trudeau pilots that I was talking about. Yeah that it's a robust program, the intentions are noble, that they're trying to front end or front load the um, uh, requirements for permanent residence so that there are no miserable um, expectations broken at the end of their stint as a caregiver, as a temporary foreign worker. Um, Mm -hmm. The unintended consequences is that uh, that, that that it brought about would be, um, you know, the processing times. Essentially, if you're, uh, you know, a parent in, let's say, Vancouver, and you need to hire a caregiver, let's be honest here, well, you probably need that caregiver last week. But if you're facing processing times of like one year, just to get your temporary foreign worker to Canada, are you really going to do that, right? I mean, maybe out of necessity, you'll wait. But really like it's it's an impractical program in that uh, you know regard so hopefully the shifts and the changes because ircc thankfully is actually listening um and you know engaging its stakeholders that you know the shift to a client centered approach will actually help and um you know one of my final points that i sh- that, that i actually said in this is that you know the reality is a lot of these caregivers have uh, trouble speaking english or french so the caregiver programs on immigration's website it's a low-hanging fruit, should be available in multiple languages.
0: Absolutely. We're not going to share with you the exact takeaways and the advice we gave to IRCC. We think that this is protected by confidence and, right. and the process that we were engaged in. Um, but these, what, these are the major points and stories that we told IRCC. And um, LJ, if you remember from the feedback and the conversations, I think it was very uh, productive. Um, I think that they were receptive, as you mentioned. And, um, you know, they're very eager to make things better. A lot of very progressive uh, bottom-up folks in in the system looking to do some good work. They've come up with great things such as the Vulnerable Open Work Permit. Uh, Of course, not to say there's not challenges with that program, but it has played an important role for many, many individuals who are in vulnerable situations, especially sexual abuse and financial abuse. Um, So things are looking up and I, and I, I left feeling hopeful. How about yourself?
1: Definitely. Yeah, just the tone of the conversation that we had with them uh, struck a lot of hope. Uh, it really breaks the, uh, I guess, the monotony and the impression that the government is this monolithic entity that you can't break through. So it's, it's not a, a binary uh, situation where you have a yes or a no. Uh, you know, government, there are people in there that really are trying to make a difference and they are making a difference. And the fact that they're engaging with stakeholders more and more is a positive
0: sign, in my opinion. Absolutely. So that brings us to a wrap on this special episode where we shared with you what we could and what we uh, felt was appropriate uh, of our consultations uh, with IRCC. Um, LJ, we're going to do something a little bit different for the next episode. Rather than tell you who's coming up, we're going to drop some clues in our socials. So then (laughs) slowly, 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 you'll figure out what the topic is, who's coming, and it'll be a lot of fun. I can tell you, though, this is going to be a special one.
1: All right. Well, with that being said, thank you so much for listening in and watching. Uh, We hope to see you in the next episode. And this is Imlet episode number seven.
0: All about the circumstances. Take care. (laughs)